0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Tonic.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So with the Onyx Hunt app... Um one one thing that uh in this episode that I'm gonna talk about with David Miller a little bit that I wanna make sure that I highlight within the hunt app is being able to pay attention to topographical lines, especially when it comes to hunting mountain bucks. If you're finding sign at, you know, a certain point on a ridge or, you know, part way down the hill at a certain level, take note of what elevation that is. You know, filter over to the the topography or the hybrid layer on onyx and i can probably bet that in the nearby ridges draws valleys all across Mm -hmm. that you're going to find similar sign at that elevation and that can be a lot of reasons whether that's food sources whether that's the the way the cover is there Um, there's a lot of reasons for that but just pay attention to it Um, can really help out with your scouting so if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, then you can head over to onyxmaps.com, use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of that app. So Elk 101, uh, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have come out with the University of Elk Hunting. And the University of Elk Hunting, I've talked about it here for a while, is basically a fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course and it has everything from the planning phases for the DIY guys and girls, you know, from the the beginning stages of figuring out how to pick an area, you know, what to do. I mean, we're getting into these, you know, these months when we need to start planning, you know, next year's adventures, which is crazy to me that we're, you know, getting to that point, but. Um, there's no better time than now to check that out. And if you're looking to plan that hunt, uh, learn some more, you know, elk knowledge um, and any other aspect from it, then check out the University of Elk Hunting online at elk101.com. You can use the coupon code West. That'll also save yourself 20% off of the online course. Um, Maven Optics. So, Maven has come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors through their direct consumer business model. And so what they're doing is being able to put in the highest quality Japanese ED glass in these bodies that can be fully customizable from a um, a variety of price ranges, depending on what you're looking for. But the one thing that's for sure is that the quality is going to be top notch. And if you ever have any issues Call them up. You'll talk to a real person on the phone um, and they'll really help you out. So customer service is key with them. They'd rather have a, a great customer service-based company rather than, you know, grow to a, a ridiculous size. So MavenBill.com, check them out. If you use the coupon code EastMeetsWest-GIFT, you'll get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. Okay, so let's get into the giveaway items here first. Uh that's this the 100th episode giveaway from last week. Uh got a ton of entries here. Looks like I don't know, I don't have the number in front of me, but a lot of entries through Instagram, Facebook, and through leaving reviews on the various platforms. Thank you, everyone, for entering and doing that. And thank you to Sika Gear, Mountain Ops, Maven Optics, Onyx, Wild Carrot Deer Attractant, and and then also I'm giving away some stuff through East Meets West. But thank you to those companies for, one, believing in what uh what I'm trying to do here with the podcast and and supporting it you know it was when I started this giveaway thing here I you know talked about it with Chris from Sick of Gear first and he was like yeah let's let's get a fanatic jacket out there and 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 then Onyx you know reached out to me about doing the lifetime membership giveaway and and as soon as I mentioned that, the, these other companies jumped on board, and they're like, hey, "We want to, we want to help. We want to help give it, give some stuff back to, you know, your listeners and everything else." So, thank you for, you know, helping me get to this point, and hopefully, that I'm um, able to help you out a little bit through, through you know, interviewing these people that know a lot more than I do. So, that's the the whole purpose of this. All right, enough jabbering and about uh nothing here. Let's get into the actual giveaway items. So I'm gonna start in reverse. Let's let's go back. Let's start with what I'm gonna give away uh from East Meets West. So that'll be a shirt, hat, and koozie of your choice. And the winner of that is Jay Prevo thirteen. J Prevo thirteen, this came from an Apple Podcast review. Um so if you um, are one of these winners, I guess what you should do first of all is send me an email, which is Bo beau, B-E-A-U, at eastmeetswesthunt.com. And if you forget that, you can also go on my website, the contact form there, and send me an email. And what I'll need is your name, your address, and well, your email address as well. And then, uh, I'll be able to hook you guys up with, you know, whatever that you're going to be winning here. So congratulations to J Prevo 13. And I really apologize if I mispronounce any names here. Uh, the next giveaway will be three 10 packs of the wild carrot deer attractant. So basically this is, you know, a single tearaway scent, um, that you can hang on a licking branch. You can, with their little, tool that you can clip onto your boot you can use it as a scent drag pulling it in it's a no mess single tear off uh product and I use them in front of my trail cameras I use it every time I go into hunt and it's really uh really cool product so the winner of that is C N Hyde so it's spelled C N H Y D E at C N Hyde off this is off of Instagram so you've won the the wild carrot, the 310 packs of of the single tear scent. So congratulations, send me an email. And the next giveaway is going to be the Onyx lifetime elite membership to the Hunt app. This is a huge one. This is big. You know, normally $99 a year, you're going to get that for life. So the winner of that is comes from an Apple podcast review again. Connor Ah, Connor Ah, reach out to me. Send me an email. Uh, give me your information there. Congratulations, that's awesome. You'll always have the the Hunt app on your phone, on your computer. It, you'll have that for the lifetime. So, congratulations. Next is the Maven two hundred dollar gift card, and this will be an electronic gift card. So they'll, I'll send you a code. And you'll be able to have that for to use at any time at mavenbilt.com. And the winner that is at tpow415. So T-P-O-W 415. That comes off of Instagram. Congratulations. And you'll be able to pick up a new set of Maven Optics or put it towards any of their products that they have online. Uh, the next winner... For the Mountain Ops $200 gift card is Jake Filer. Jake, congratulations on winning this uh, $200 gift card for Mountain Ops coming your way. Shoot me an email and uh, we'll get you hooked up with Mountain Ops. And lastly, the one that kind of started off the whole thing here based off of the, the Quiet Place film that Sick Gear... Did last year up at Jim Hole Junior's place in Alberta that I was lucky enough to be a part of. We're giving away a Sika Gear fanatic jacket, and the winner of that is Logan Bruner. Congratulations, Logan! Shoot me a email, and we'll get you hooked up with the new Sika fanatic jacket heading your way. So again, thank you everybody for entering and everything here. I'm glad I was able to give something back, you know, you know, thankfully to these companies that were able to uh give some of these items here. So shoot me an email, give me your information, and we'll get a hold of you. You have a week to claim your prize. If I don't hear from you by next Tuesday, I'm gonna draw another name. So gotta listen to this podcast. I'm not announcing the names anywhere else. Um, they have to listen to it to be able to get it. So if you didn't win, maybe there's still a chance, but I hope everybody, um, listens to it and claims their prizes. So I was going to talk on this episode about just kind of recapping the end of my whitetail season here. And when I say the end of my whitetail season, the end of our early archery season in Pennsylvania that is closed on Saturday and I did not fill my buck tag yet. I have rifle season coming up and then also late archery after Christmas. But um, I will go into detail on that on another episode. I might actually just make a a short solo one where I dive into some things because I have a lot of takeaways from this year and a lot of notes I wrote down, some learning lessons, some things I think went well, um, and a bunch of, other, bunch of other things. So I'm going to do that on a separate episode. We have a a good one here um, from David Miller and David is a friend of mine. I met a few years ago at the ATA show. He's just a regular guy like you and me. He started a company called Appalachian range and we'll hear more about that in in the episode. But David is a, a great guy and is, is very knowledgeable when it comes to hunting these mountain bucks in Southern West Virginia, which can apply All the way through the Appalachian Range, you know, up through Pennsylvania, New York, Virginia, down Tennessee, all these places, this knowledge is good. So, um, listen up here with uh, my buddy David Miller. All right, we're back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and I have a special guest on the line tonight, coming out of the mountains of West Virginia, David Miller. What's going on, man?
0: (laughs) Hey, man. How are you doing?
1: Oh, I I can't complain. I can't complain. Uh, it's, it's the middle of November. I've got to spend a lot of time in the tree recently. It's been, it's been great. How about for you?
2: Yeah. Oh
0: man. had a, had a great early season and, uh, and even a better, uh, season as it's progressed here. Um, I was able to, uh, I was able to go out and harvest a really nice uh buck about two weeks ago and then uh I went out two days ago with my my little girl and got to uh got to experience her harvesting her first deer ever, uh a doe with her crossbow and honestly I, I told a bunch of my friends, I said, You boys can keep those big bucks. I was like, the moment that I just had with my little girl, I was like, that that was one of the most awesome things I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> oh,
1: that's, that is awesome. And yeah, you were telling me a little bit offline before we started recording on that. And she's only six years old. That is amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, like I was saying, you know, I've tried not to uh, dive in. She sees me out, you know, pursuing, you know, a mature deer and, and deer with uh, with large horns or large antlers. And she, uh, she you know, she, I don't want her to dive into that too much. So I've really tried to pour into her lately really telling her about the importance of you know being a hunter for the you know for the provision uh that it provides and the, the meat and then just explaining to her about all that she really she's really got it so that's that's really exciting yeah
1: yeah that's that's awesome and for her to be able to have success at such a young age, I'm sure that's just gonna that's just gonna stick with her and wanna fuel the fire yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> fuel the fire I couldn't say that any better that's that's awesome and and it it's funny because you and i have uh have been you know friends now for a few years yeah and um yeah. I think it was like earlier this year we talked on the phone um for quite a while and and found out we were going to be, you know, hunting in similar areas in Idaho this year and we just, you know, talked quite a bit and and I was excited to get you on the podcast and then recently um You'd killed a, a really good buck and it just, it just sparked my, uh, memory again. I was like, I got to get David on the podcast. We need to talk whether, you whether you got that buck or not, I was planning on having you on, but, uh, that, sure. just, that just gave me a reason to make it happen a little bit sooner <laughs> rather yeah. than later. So. Yeah.
0: Good, to, good to be on here. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of what you cover in your podcast, I mean, it helps so many, helps so many uh, of us hunters along, along the way. Like like you were saying, you know, we went out west uh, this year and we listened to a lot of your podcasts, especially the ones with you and Corey, about elk hunting on the way out there and picked up some tips and applied some of those in the field. And, and man, that's, that's what it's all about, us, you know, learning and uh, just incorporating each other in each other's journey. Yeah.
1: Yeah and, and you know those of us in the in the east you know up through the the Appalachian mountain region and everything we got to stick together we got to help each other out and uh, we do and even though like like you're you know you're down in southern west virginia and i'm up in north central pennsylvania i feel like there's a lot of similarities to where oh, we live are. you know and i i think that oh, you know yeah. that resonates uh you know some of the stuff that you talk about when we talk it just seems like we're um very similar, you know, people and just mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, different parts of the, the country here.
0: It's true. Very, very true. Yep.
1: So that's cool. So I guess David, just get started here. I'd like to, uh, start with you giving a little background on yourself and, you know, who you are, you know, uh, you know, how you got into, to, uh, bow hunting and just in hunting in general, I guess, and, and a little background on yourself if you would.
0: You know, Bo, I, I started, uh, I started bow hunting when I was around nine years old. Uh, my dad, he would take me out some and then, uh, and my dad and they shared to me like their tactics and, and the way that they, they pursued deer. And then as I got older, I started to kind of learn, learn how, you know, started to incorporate my own, my own, uh, process and started to. Incorporate and learn my own tactics, and and now I've got to the point where you know I'm able to to share those with other people. And it's kind of came full circle with there's a, a, a young fella up the road here, my neighbor Cole Mitchell. Um, I'm able to take him out and kind of pass that tradition down. So sort of been a a process of of heritage like me learning from other people and now being able to pass it on it's real and to, to cole and my little girl it's pretty awesome to be able to do that um the past couple of years uh i've been i've been working some with uh with Bowtech, um being able to do uh, a couple instructional things with them called whitetail 101 uh, and that went really good and uh, really enjoyed that to be able to to share some of the tactics and things that uh I've learned along the way but you know as you know Bo as uh you know pursued these whitetails in Appalachia um I started I started to after I got to the point where I really started to pursue mature animals um the game sort of changed um because you know when you're out just hunting and trying to kill you know or harvest a deer um you know, how you set up and the tactics you use, they can be pretty loose and pretty open-ended. Um, but I got to the point and that, or that's sort of where I am now is instead of pursuing, you know, a certain size deer or, um, a certain size rack, should I say, um, now I pursue a single deer and that is a very, very different, different animal, Yeah. Um, because because you have to you have to really incorporate some very disciplined, very disciplined techniques. It's sort of like the vi- uh, very, very similar to the video that you and uh, um, what's his name? The gym had Jim. Done?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jim Hold Jr.
0: Oh, I love that video that you guys did because, man, there's so much of it that ties in and that I associate myself with because I have my own, I have my own process, um, that I go through at like each of the steps, like from entering the stand to, you know, to sink control. There's so many little, little details that when you're pursuing a single, a single buck that has to go into that, um, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different game. So that's, that's sort of, I've evolved from that, um, you know, from that being a young hunter, just appreciating going out and harvesting just whatever's I'm I'm you know, I'm blessed to have one by me uh into into a hunter now that I, I go out and I pursue a single animal. And but and I also I but it reminds me of the importance of being okay with, you know, harvesting, you know, just going out and hunting deer because I, I still take my wife, I still take the the boy up the road, Cole Mitchell i um t- start to take my little girl, and it takes me back to the place where I was back then and there's a need for it all the yeah. you know the trophy hunting and as well as the hunter that you know goes out and just hunts for for meat man it's we're all we're all equal in this uh i guess in this community.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's kind of like the the evolution as you go through as a, a hunter and, a, and a, a bow hunter, you know? I mean, sure. I I have a you know similar, you know story with that. You know, I I got to the point where I just wanted to go out and hunt and it was tough enough just to try to kill one animal, you know? And with sure. you know, first it was with a rifle and then it, you know, turned into with a bow. And then as I, you know, started seeing my father and my family, you know, starting to chase some of these bigger, older deer, you know, then I started, you know, learning that and keep going. And then every year I kind of, you know, adjust my goals. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, obviously a giant part of hunting whitetails and hunting in general is, you know, being able to get the meat and, you know, provide for your family. But, you know, another part of it is that adventure of it and the, the, the part where you ch- want to challenge yourself and that, it's
0: a per- yeah, it's like a personal journey. It, you're yeah.
1: exactly, you're exactly right. And so I, I completely agree with, you know, with you on that. I think a lot of us go, go through that and it's, it's a, a fun, it's a fun journey. Sometimes it can definitely, I'm sure with you, you know, chasing after, you know, single, deer it can be frustrating at times but it's so oh, much sweeter when it comes together <laughs> it's
0: so true yeah you, you know i'll i'll be out um you know in a season i'll have you know i run thirty thirty 30 to 40 cameras at one time and I'll, I'll start out you know spreading those cameras out looking for you know s- certain deer but then whenever i find that one or find a couple you know that are kind of on my target list I'll move those cam- some cameras from different areas into those areas to try to start to pattern those deer and that man it's it's just it's it is very challenging but at the same time it's very rewarding
1: um, yeah no it it, um, it it definitely is like you said it's rewarding when it when it comes together and it's also it's also can be you know humbling when they when they get one up on you <laughs> At the same point. So true.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it seems like they're, uh, uh, especially the times, and it seems like that's the way it is more times than not, when they are a step ahead of you (laughs) and you're like, oh my gosh, what's, what's he doing? Or I I remember this one old buck uh, I chased uh, at the end of a season one year and he would literally, if I was not hunting in my sand, he would be he would be there like morning and evening. If I hunted in the evening, he would be there in the morning. If I hunted in the morning, he would be there in the evening. I, I'm I'm still to this day convinced that that deer saw me coming and going. And I even tried two different routes to access it, uh, access that stand. And I still think he, uh, I think he was betting so close that I think he was really seeing me enter that stand.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's funny. Um, it's like you said, it's just, it's one of those things that, uh, it's definitely an evolution with it. And I, I, um, so it's me personally, when, when it comes to, I I did that for a few years hunting a single deer and it was very, very, very tough. And then I kind of got to the point where I realized I wasn't at that point yet in my, in my journey to, to do that. And I, 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 more or less, I put more pressure on myself than I needed. And, uh, so the last few years I've kind of just, you know, tried to find, you know, a bunch of ones in a certain age structure that I, you know, hope to go after and, and, instead of the the single focus and that was just for me personally because i just sometimes yeah. drive myself nuts with <laughs> you know trying to uh chase after you know one specific deer was giving me a, a serious headache
0: oh yeah it will yeah it, it, it definitely has the ability to consume you <laughs> yeah <laughs> because i've been there yeah it will it will it can it can take you too far <laughs> yeah but at the same time man that the moment that it, it comes to you know full circle and you are able to harvest you know that deer, it's it's very very rewarding. I mean it, it's it's very rewarding
1: so uh David one of the things that that I've noticed with you this is from an outside you know perspective looking at it, is you enjoy the educational part of it and sharing you know some of your experiences and and uh I guess learnings over the years and you know you've I, I think you and, and some of the other guys that, you know, you're always, you know, hunting together with and Cole and, and Steve Flores mm-hmm. and some of those guys, I think you guys do a really good job of, you know, sharing the, um, you know, some of the things you've learned and just your experiences and stuff. And you, and you're doing that through, um, a, a company. And I believe it you started it at the Appalachian range. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I sure did. I sure did started that about about four years ago. And, you know, um, around that time, it, it seemed there was an explosion of outdoor groups. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, Oh my gosh, it was just like everywhere starting this out. You know, these, there are four or five guys, I guess the, you know, their buddies would get together and Hey, let's start an outdoor group, find a name and, and do you know, do all this stuff that, um, uh, that we've tried to do. And, uh, but, but with the Appalachian range, I had a completely different vision for that. Um, rather than get, you know, four or five of your buddies and, and try to have a, either a TV show or whatever, you know, the goal is, I, I wanted to form what you and I said that, that sort of like the way that we met was I wanted to form an outdoor community, a place where people could, could be a part. There was no, there was no pressure to go out and fulfill needs for sponsors. And there was, you know, but it was, it was a group of people who lo- purely loved outdoors for the same reasons, who could mesh together, who could share their journeys through photography, through writing, through film, um, and then put, put their story out there through that platform and, and you know, share that with everyone else on social media. Um, and and that's that's sort of how Appalachian Range started was was just the, the the need that I saw for there to be more community because there's so much division um, I, I see so much division in the outdoor industry I was like hey we need more camaraderie we we need to bring this bring everyone back together and enjoy it for what it's meant to be
1: yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, I think that, that you guys have done a great job, you know, with, with that. And, you know, again, that's how, how we met and, and we've met through social media, which is like yeah. I said, I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that are said bad about social media, but I've had great, you know, positive oh, things from it. I've yeah. met so many awesome yeah. people and And you know, you and I we met in person at the ATA show a couple years ago, I believe, and and uh, it's just it's been really cool to be able to see that, and 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 with your company specifically, like it just it was drawn to me because you know I grew up in the you know the Appalachian Mountains here, and and that just you know, the stories and stuff I could really relate to. So it was, it's, it's really cool to be able to to see what you put together there. And like you said, you know, outdoor groups are, um, a dime a dozen from it. It's, you know, the ones that, you know, set you apart. And uh, I think that your kind of goals and, and, uh, I guess purpose for that definitely, you know, sets you apart.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. We, I I definitely uh, think there needs to be more of that in, in world of outdoors, uh, you know, the sense of community and unity. Um, And, and that's what, that's what we're going to keep, you know, promoting is, is more of that through our films and through, you know, through photography. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There, there definitely needs to be more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So Dave, I do have some questions for you in regards to, where you live and where you're hunting at. So you are in Southern West Virginia. And so give a little bit of, a, I guess, a description so the listeners can kind of get a picture in their head of some of the, you know, the area that, that you're hunting in and anything that's relevant to that.
0: You know, um, the areas where I grew up, uh, it's, it's actually situated in Southern West Virginia, and I grew up in the, the archery only counties. Um, I was, I was looking up earlier, um, and this is actually the 40th year, 40th year. There has been no rifle season. Um, and it's been archery only for, for deer, um, which really enables someone to accomplish like growing deer, uh, or, or allowing them to reach maturity. Uh, I mean, extreme maturity, the two deer that, uh, this year that I was pursuing, um, they were, one of them was eight and a half. The other one was nine and a half. The one, I the one I actually was able to take was nine and a half years old. Oh. Um, so, and a lot, you know, I learned something very valuable, you know, through, through this, um, through, through allowing deer to, to get that old. I used to hear that deer started to go downhill, like at eight and a half, nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what i have seen over the past you know 15 years of running trail cameras that is 100 percent not true at least in the hour at least in the hour region yeah it's not not true at all not true at all no <laughs> honestly i think that deer they will they sort of they max out on their frame at like uh
2: um,
0: five and a half uh six and a half then seven and a half eight and a half they'll put on their mass. And they, so seven and a half, eight and a half is when they sort of start to reach nine and a half is when they reach their actual genetic potential.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, so that's, that's interesting. And I've learned that in these bow counties, you know what I mean? That, that helped, you know, <laughs> helps allow them to reach that age.
1: And I've heard, uh, I've heard others say that as well. I mean, Lee Lakosky talks about it with, you know, where he hunts in Iowa about that. He believes when they hit that age, you know, they're not, they're not on their way downhill, um, from, no. from that standpoint whatsoever. So that's, that's interesting that, that you've found the same thing in in the area that you're hunting.
0: Same thing. You know, the areas that, the areas that I've hunted here in Southern West Virginia, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of surface mines in these vicinity, And I, I also have a theory about that as well. I think, I think that whenever the, you know, the surface is is uh, exposed i think a lot of minerals are also exposed so when plants you know and uh, vegetation they you know absorb the minerals from the ground they bring mining nutrients as grant woods would call it you know you're pulling the the minerals from the ground up into the up into the vegetation the deer eat it and then they get those minerals i think there's a lot of mineral exposed you know through that you know a lot some of it does have to do with genetics but i think a lot of these these deer allowing them the combination of the, of some of the nutrition and the combination of them, especially the age structure, I think is the key. Um, but, you know, these, these areas, they are, they're rough. They're, I mean, they're really steep. Um, some of them are, are very, very rocky and aggressive, but there's a, really from the, from bringing other people out, like from Ohio and different places, some of my friends, and hopefully my good friend Bo Tonic from uh, PA will get to come <laughs> down. <laughs> yes, um, but but man, for bringing some of the people down from actually the Flatland areas, I know you're not from there, but uh, from like Ohio and different places, man, they they're challenged physically uh, because of the terrain, um, the the mountains, a lot of a lot of. uh, you know not a lot of fields there's some of these areas like i mentioned that have been surfaced on uh that have large large areas that that have uh, have some fields and that have been reclaimed but the the majority of what i hunt uh they are hardwood forest
1: mm okay so a lot of big timber uh type areas similar yes. again that that goes up through oh yeah all of the the appalachian you know Range here, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of a lot of what you're looking at, yeah, it's very, very similar. Yeah,
1: yeah. So like, so you, yeah. Um, so what I was gonna say with, I wanted to touch a little bit more on the the where you're talking about, you know, hitting their genetic potential, and I have like a little bit of some of my own theories on that as well. With, uh, so yeah. I, I hunt, you know, where I hunt a lot of areas, you know, similar to what you do, and and what I've found is some of the areas that have had a lot of you know logging operations and other things that create you know more food sources and variety of food sources tend to grow bigger deer then so I I've especially in the last year to two years I've really expanded and I've went to some areas that I'm like you know I'm going to find these old bucks you know it's really remote just big, you know, oak ridges, big timber unbroken and you know, I'm getting way back in there and there's some old deer but they're not growing the antlers that I'm seeing in some of these areas that have a lot more logging and and even oh yeah, and even uh even gas well operations and and uh you know that are stirring up the ground a little bit and and I I don't know, I just have a kind of a theory on that that I feel like those areas you know, grow bigger deer. And it sounds like it's the same, um, with you just with uh, the mining side of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar. That, that early successional growth, um, you know, caused by that logging. Definitely. Yeah. If you look at the, there's been studies of comparisons to the available food sources in the old growth forest like you're talking about in comparison to early successional habitat and the protein just the protein and the amount of nutrition is is obscene uh and uh, i think like in uh for example in an old growth forest i believe now don't, don't quote me on this acorns produce i think around three three maybe three to four percent protein I think that's right. Um, I think that's what they yield. And then, you know, for a deer to reach its genetic potential, it needs, especially, this is what I found, and this is what I, I believe in a lot of the research I've done. This is, you know, through the summer months, like from April until August, they need anywhere from 17 to 20, 20 to 22% protein to reach their genetic potential. They need that to build their bodies, you know, they, so that their bodies are strong and, and so the bodies are, are built up so that they can reach that genetic potential in terms of their antler size. And then in the winter, they need anywhere from 12 to 15% protein. Uh, they, you know, need more carbohydrates so that the body doesn't get stressed, you know, produce heat in their body. Um, so if you look at deer that love, it's just like eating candy all the time. Well, you know, what would our bodies look like if we just went out and ate, you know, they love to eat those acorns because they, you know, it tastes good to them. They like that. But as far as from a nutrition standpoint, it's definitely not, uh, not the most beneficial for them. Um, but uh, like I I was saying, um, early successional habitat in the timbered area produces, uh, you know, a whole lot, a whole lot better nutrition for the deer. So you're, you're, what you're saying is extremely accurate.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been so funny. Cause like, I, you know, like you, I mean, like most deer hunters, everyone loves big antlers. I mean, that's sure. you're lying. If you say yeah. you don't, whether you put that as a goal yeah. or not is up to you, but I mean, uh, it's yeah. And so I, you know, I've yeah. really tried to like, this year I was like, I wanna find some of the biggest deer, oldest deer that I can, you know, with a combination of antlers and age. And you know, I've really found that that once I started going to some of these areas that were just big old growth stuff, I was finding deer that are seven, eight years old, nine years old that aren't, you know, aren't getting these giant racks. I mean, you know, they might top out at 130 inches which is a great buck but don't get me wrong but sure. you know finding yeah. uh, deer that are in these areas that are heavily logged and have you know a mixture of the the you know the new growth that's coming up as well as you know as those logging cuts get older a lot more security cover things like that 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 they're getting yeah. to you know they're able to grow antlers that are you know in the 150 to 170 inch range, and some of them even, you know, getting above that. Few and far between, but still, they're getting yep. Yep. bigger antlers, and uh, that that makes sense. Some of the what you're saying there with the protein and you know everything else with it.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: It's very true.
1: I'm I'm yep. actually going to. well I'm really excited about. It. I'm going to get a guest on the podcast here uh, from uh, Penn State. Who does uh, studies on this? And I, I've followed their deer blogs forever and talks about, you know, an expert on oh, yeah, the I've forest. Read,
0: I've read some of their stuff too.
1: Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm really pumped to to get to learn more about that and see what you know this, you know, myself just kind of being, I guess, for lack of better terms, a, a hick in North Central Pennsylvania trying to figure this stuff out. <laughs> you know, have someone that yeah. has science uh, uh, background with it. <laughs>
0: Exactly. I, you know, I have I, my my degree is in biology, but you know, everything I've learned about whitetail and all that stuff has been post uh, college. Has been me just because of you know my love for it, diving in and you know reading research papers from Penn State. I've read a lot of stuff from from Tennessee, a few things from Louisiana, um, but yeah, they they used to offer. Do they still offer a degree? I think at Penn State, like a whitetail used to be like a whitetail biology degree or something like that
1: um i'm not I'm not sure I know they have a wildlife biology um
0: they 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 ha- used to have something specifically for whitetail now I don't know if they still do that or not but years huh. ago they did yeah interesting yeah, pretty 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 interesting yeah That's
1: yeah very cool yeah so um so I guess with all right so you kind of talked a little bit you know, about, you know, West Virginia, you're in the, you know, the bow counties down there. And, and I have a, um, a, a good buddy of mine, Johnny Stewart, who told me about hunting down there and he hunted down there 15, 20 years ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, he was just talking. He's like, yeah. He's like, when you're at the bottom and you look up, it's just straight up. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> when we hunted these, these bow counties and he's like, you know, he found some, he went down there shed hunting one year and he goes found some just absolute, giants that you just, he goes when, you know, back at that time in Pennsylvania before antler restrictions and everything else, there just wasn't any age to the deer. And he's like, we were used to hunting the mountains of Pennsylvania. And, you know, the the oldest deer you're finding are these two-year-olds. And we went down to West Virginia, we're finding these, you know, giant bucks. And, yeah. and so, you know, that's always been something that I've heard of those areas, you know, quite a bit now that I've got to know you and some others that live in that region. It's um, definitely sparked my interest and, and you and I are talking about, you know, I want to come down and see it.
0: Yeah, no, they're, the deer are definitely here. They're um, But they're, you know, the terrain does make it challenging. And they use the terrain as a form of cover, like these steep mountain faces. Man, they those deer, they're no dummies. They know that people aren't going to be traveling a lot of those. But I mean, a lot of times they'll use they'll use those those faces as uh, as cover for bedding areas. Um, so the, yeah, the the deer there. It's funny. I've I've heard some of my um, my friends that have harvested some some of the bigger deer in the area. I've heard them say, "Yeah, I, I would like to see some of these people that hunt the flatland come out and give this a try." Some of the people that <laughs> that you see that yep. you see killing the big bucks from the from the west. Uh, but uh, but it, it's I like it because and I hunt some in in Ohio out near uh, Cincinnati with a friend of mine. Um uh me and Chan and Sizemore. Uh I go out with him a couple times uh every year. I have a great time. I love that. It's flat. It's flat as a flitter out there where he's at. <laughs> and uh, and I love that. It, but the challenges there are very different. You know, you got the straight line winds and you got, you know, you the deer can see they can see across these big fields, and it's it's just very very different than what I had been accustomed to, you know, all of my life growing up hunting these hills, um, you know, wh- the way the wind, the way the wind plays here, um, or way that you should play the wind here, and the way you play it in Ohio, like where it's flat, it's very different. So, but I like that. I like that. You know, the it calls you. It, it's a new new skill set, I guess you could say. Uh, so uh, yeah, coming, coming to West Virginia and, you know, hunting these areas and uh, especially in the bow counties, it's, it's, it's challenging, but they, the de- the deer are definitely here. Yeah. The big ones.
1: Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And what's, what is re- awesome. And I've talked about this before, but whitetails live in so many different areas, I want to hunt them in oh, all the areas and learn cuz I you know you can take yeah. you can take a little yeah. bit from each area and what you learn and apply it to your own situation and you might not be able to take all of it or even half of it but you can definitely take little bits and pieces and that's why I love talking to different people you know and kind of just mm-hmm. you know just pulling you know just getting little information from them and and you know trying to apply it to my own strategies and there's you know there's there's a, you know, for lack of better terms, a hundred ways, you know, skin a cat and that's, you know, the way it is with, you know, going after these well, big like, white tails, but.
0: <laughs> you know, there's, there's something I noticed this year, um, that, uh, talking about a, a tactic. Um, there's something I, I picked up on that was, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, the ridges where I normally, what happens in in the places where i hunt the during the rut the pre-rut the uh the bucks will start to move up on the ridges because they can cover more they can cover more ground and uh, check for more does uh than they can down low uh there because there's so much surface area low on the mountains uh so they'll move up onto the ridges so they can go from drainage to drainage to drainage uh checking for does and they'll lay scrape lines down and that's usually a really effective technique um but you know, this year a lot of me and also a bunch of my uh hunting buddies uh had talked back and forth and we we were all saying, Where are the bucks? Where are the mature bucks? Why aren't they moving up? Why aren't they moving up? And I was like, Hey, there's a there's a trend here. I was like, everyone, it's not just me not seeing these deer. So I took a bunch of my trail cameras and I moved them middle of the mountain and I started to pick up on a couple. Of bucks, and then the one that I harvested this year, I saw him one time, and I was like, "Well, I know he's in the area," so I brought more cameras in, put them middle of the mountain, and and even added a couple up on the ridge area. Nothing, no sign of him. I'm like, "Oh, there's only one other place he could be. He's staying low." Well, I, the more I thought about it, you know, we went through a drought this year. We had sixty right out sixty days without a drop of water. Huh. So it pushed it pushed these deer, it, not just into the belly of the hollows, but it pushed them down the drainages further than I think that they had been in a long time, to to be able to find water sources. Mm-hmm. So, I think it pushed them down there, and then what I think happened, they found. Good and and I think even some of the eight because of the extreme heat and and drought I think some of the acorns even up high were damaged. I had some people saying they cut the acorns open and it would be almost be like powder inside. So from the heat and the, the and the drought up on the ridges. So I think the deer were pushed down low and then they found good food sources down there and I think they just stayed. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, I I think. I think, whoa, uh, you know, th- and that helped me figuring that out. I moved those cameras down low, put one camera out in the area I thought he would be, went back three days later, him and three other nice bucks had been there every day. And I went back two days after that and killed him.
1: You know, that is, that's so funny you say that. And so I noticed that this year in Pennsylvania and some, so I hunt a mixture of areas that are you know semi steep and more rolling type hills, still big timber, and that doesn't affect them mm-hmm. as much. Like they don't change elevation as much. But when you get into some of those really steep areas where you have you know anywhere from 800 to 1500 feet elevation change from the top to bottom, I've I, this year was huge with that. I was I had cameras all up higher and I put them out early before I went elk hunting, anticipating they'd be moving up there. You know, as as sure. the season started going on and yeah. got into October, oh yeah, and I yep. was not. I thought my cameras were broke. I wasn't getting any photos, and then <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, all of a sudden I'd get something that would trigger. I'm like, nope, my cameras are working, but the acorns were damaged on the tops and in, yep. in most of the areas, and. I started dropping down lower, and the lower thirds of the hill, I started running cameras like you did, and I just actually pulled a bunch today before uh, rifle season comes in. I didn't want them to go up missing, but I went and pulled them, and that's where the bucks were. This This whole year, they never uh, went to the top. They were running got, that lower third. Um, was, we, it, was it droughty? Was it
0: droughty up here?
1: It, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was a drought, but we had less rain than we have in the past and we had a lot of rain early we had a lot of rain early and then then the summer wasn't you know didn't have a ton of precipitation and the acorns dropped really early and i was actually
0: i was
1: finding deer up high end of august early september and then that (laughs) was it yep
0: and they moved out yeah same same story in our area. Oh, yeah.
1: Man, but yeah. that was frustrating yeah. trying to figure that out, you know. Now no, that looking back on it, it's like, okay, they just moved. Well, it, it that yeah, the, uh, wow, that's that's hilarious that that you experienced the same thing.
0: Yeah, not not just me, like I'm talking like 15, 20 other people where they were they were we were they were talking they're like, "Dave, where where are the deer? I'm not seeing any." And then whenever I moved that one camera down low, I was just like, "Oh, crap here they are so i called all my buddies back I'm like listen you need to go put cameras out down low and it's funny this one friend of mine he says he says okay i'm going to do that in two hours when i get off work and i said awesome see let me know what you see he calls me back right after dark and he is i thought he had shot a big one he was so fired up he says dave i moved low on the mountain he said i went exactly like you said went to the belly of the holla came up out and and found a logging road uh maybe 200 yards up on the hill he said and it was absolutely crushed with sun he said scrapes rubs everywhere and so it was it was pretty funny cause, and everybody else is seeing a lot of that too
2: yeah.
1: That's, that's so funny. I mean, like it just even like said so today I was out and you could really see the sign. We have still a little bit of snow here yeah. and, um, and I could see the scrapes sure. and everything. And there was like a certain elevation point where there wasn't much sign any higher than that. And it was, yeah. I was like, Hey man, I really wish I would have figured this out earlier, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. And it, I guess that's where it comes down to just adapting to the the situation and and you know staying on it which can be tough
0: (laughs) yeah and you know if if it's okay i'd like let me i want to share something um with you like the kind of how my hunt transpired this year because the reason i want to share this is because i think this will help I, i i would love it if somebody when people come across stuff like this i love it when they share it because i always i always uh dig into it and let it let it sink in and, and apply it to my you know to my uh to my journey yeah to uh hunt these big deer so this year I, I go up and i okay so i was checking high on the mountain there was nothing middle of the mountain a little bit of activity i go low in the mountain you know i find this deer okay well i went back and two days after i had put the camera out left it out three days low Came back and checked it. Saw that, saw that buck. Check this out, Bo. So, I go in that morning, at uh, probably about five o'clock, and I'd already I had a, hang, uh, a stand hung there, and I had brought with me another stand just in case because this was my plan. I was accessing from a railroad, an old abandoned railroad grade, uh, probably been there since the twenties. And it was in the main belly of the hollow. So I was walking that in for access. Um, and what there were all these finger drains going up, these little drains going up into these hollows. So I was on a point of one of those drains. That's where I had this camera. Because I'd seen a couple, sc- I'd done a little scouting down low bit before I put that camera out, found some scrapes. I checked that, um, found him. And then went back two days later to hunt. I went in there at 5 o'clock, checked that camera, and he had been through that 2.30 a.m. And I thought, oh, no, he's he's already passed through here, so he's ahead of me. So instead of staying there and hoping for the best, I came back down to the railroad grade. I looked at what direction that that deer was going. I came back down. I got my stand, put it on my backpack, and I went down four drains like four of the little finger drains. Yeah. And I popped up on that same level where he was traveling, where he had that scrape line going around. It was probably uh, a half of a mile uh, in a straight line, but it was further than that, you know, if you were going in and out of the little hollis. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I pop up this drain on the same level where he's at, and I go up on the hill, and I get things set up, and my, I'll I take my stand, but I got up there, and the stand, the strap wasn't the only really tree it would have worked for me because that area had been timbered. And the only tree that really worked, the strap wouldn't fit around because it was this big, huge poplar.
2: <laughs>
0: so I thought, man, I'm going to – my wind is good. I checked it, and I knew the thermals would be taking my scent up whenever, uh, whenever they kicked in when it, the sun started to come up. So – I went old school on him and I I raked out a big area around because I was, I was 40 feet up on the hill, literally almost vertical because the hill was so steep above that logging road where he had a scrape line. So I went up, scraped me out a place behind this big tree, uh, removed all the leaves, put my bow holder in the side where I could just pick my bow up and shoot. And I just dug in. I covered up my backpack with leaves, covered up my stand with leaves, kind of brush got brushed in, and I just, I got up against this big, massive poplar tree. Hour later, here came a 145-inch nine-point. Checked the scrape, one of the scrapes went right by me, 15, 15 yards over the hill. On, but like I said, I was, I was, um, yeah, I was about 40, somewhere around 40 feet, somewhere in that ballpark ab- above directly above him you know what i'm saying yep well he um uh because this i I don't know what the slope on this hill was but it was i I could barely walk up it (laughs) um above that logging road well the the really nice nine point goes by um he, he passes through doesn't detect me or anything and about an hour later here come the the big one that i was able to get check the scrape and I wasn't sure if it was him at first there was some brush and when his head went underneath the limb and came back up I was like oh my gosh that's that big (laughs) buck and he he came around uh shoot probably 18 yards and uh, I shot him and he ran a couple hundred yards and and I was able to able to recover him uh Steve Flores went out with me helped me track him up and um but I just thought that it was such a different hunt that I had been used to. You t- you're talking about adapting yeah. whenever you need to, man, I'd never, I had never done anything like that, but I thought, I thought, man, this is worth, this is worth a shot. You know what I mean? Some people will, will get their one stand in their place and they'll be like, I'm staying here and either <laughs> I'll live and die by it. <laughs> but you know what? I think a lot of times when you have that mentality, you die by it.
1: Yep. I I completely agree. And so what what made you go, you know, say, the, you know, four, you know, hollows over, drainages over, um, what made you pick that spot to go? Were you just thinking by the time that he went through at 2.30 in the morning, like, I think he could make it about that far?
0: For real. That's exactly (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I was just like, hey, I was kind of doing the math in my head, and I'm like, man if this deer was here at two 30, he's going in that direction. He's checking his scrapes. I was like, I, you know, I don't know how fast exactly. I, I was just trying to make sure I was far enough down. So I would be in front of him. Yep. And, and mind you, keep in mind these at the elevation of these mountains are, you know, 18, 1800, somewhere around 1800 feet, right. From the bottom to the top. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm at, the, when I say the bottom Bo, I mean, from that railroad bed for, to where I was hunting was a hundred yards. I mean, I was just out of, out of the belly, the bottom of the hollis. So above me was another, uh, <laughs> above me was another, you know, a, a 1700 feet, uh, approximately a mountain. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but because of my trail cameras, th- I allowed them to be my eyes. You know, a, a lot of people, I don't, I don't think that they, they, I, I don't think they pour enough into that, uh, allowing that, you know, people for, for people who do use trail cameras,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: allowing, allowing that, um, to kind of, I, I've always said this, it's just as important to know where he is not using as it is to know where he is. Yep. Because I knew he was not on that ridge where he should have been. <laughs> But, but, um, (laughs) and and,
2: what was the time of year of this? Like
1: when, when was he, when did you end up, when did you end up, uh, getting a shot at him? What was the date of that?
0: That was, uh, the, I want to be accurate here. That was the third, uh, no, I'm sorry. That was the fourth.
1: November 4th yep gotcha that is that is so uh that's so interesting that that's that's basically as uh as much an adaptation as you could possibly get right there and you know being mobile and you know the fact that you decided you were going to sit on the ground because of it i mean that makes sense in a lot of these spots i actually hunted off the ground a little bit this year um doing yeah. that where you clear out the leaves so i, I found a, a spot yeah. today where someone else did that where there's a, a yeah. big oak tree and they cleared you know three quarters away around the tree with all the leaves and because it's so yeah. steep in some of these spots you don't need a stand
0: um, it's, it's just like yeah it's just like you're in it honestly if i would have gotten in that tree after i looked it would have been so much easier for that deer to pick me off in the skyline than it would have in the in the the crevice of the the mountain and that tree yeah i mean there it would have been very very like a whole lot easier for him to look up and skyline me than it would have been to have picked me off right there yeah 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 and you know i was using uh, you know the whole time you know through this i was i was using uh, i love onyx maps man um i would I would advise any serious hunter that <laughs> that really really takes it serious um, to get that app on their phone because they can they can mark points that's like that's what I was doing all along those ridges where he was not i would I would mark okay here's my trail camera here's this trail camera here's this trail camera and I'm like looking at all these places and then finally I put the middle middle mountain cameras out and I was like right here's the only place I'm getting okay, so what I did Out of all those places, I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop directly off that point where I got him into the hollow, you know, just follow that point down, access it from the bottom of the hollow and then go up and put a camera down low. And when I got in there, i put i put a pin on my Onyx right there where, where I did pick him up down low. And then I started to look around that area and be like, okay, here's another place that would be good. Here's another place that would be good. And whenever I went back in that morning to hunt, my plan was to hunt that stand. And then I had three more cameras I was going to put out down low to mm-hmm. try to pattern him. Yep. <laughs> but I was able, you know, it all came together uh, before that. So, yeah.
1: Man, and that's that's amazing to me. So, like, one thing that I think you noted there and uh, something I've been really paying attention to, um, a buddy of mine Greg Litzinger, you know, is, is big on this. He talks about, you know, um, when it, even when it comes to bucks betting and their travel, you know, if you find them at a certain elevation, go to that elevation. Maybe it's, you know, a couple of ridges over. But, you know, that same, yeah. you know, topographical line, basically, yep. and that's where using, you know, Onyx and being able to look at the maps and, and be able to see that is huge. And I, I noticed that today again when I was out scouting for a few hours found, you know, where I was marking some of these scrapes and some of the travel and where they were at. And it was all right around within, you know, a hundred feet of each other in elevation the whole way around, even you oh, know, yeah. ridges over.
0: And that's the beautiful part about that's exactly what I'm talking about with Onyx. You can, you can not only have the, have the, uh, satellite view, but you can also have the layers where you can just tap a button and it throws onto your satellite view or throw your to- topo layer over top of that. Yep. And then if you want to, you know, take away the satellite view, you just click the button one more time and it takes it to just completely solely the topographical view, which allows you to be able to to, to see those contours like you're talking about. Yeah, that, man, it's so – it help, helps me out so much through the year. So – I study maps. I I scout, I scout 95% of the time and hunt about five.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I, I am in a complete, you know, agreeance with you there. I it's, it's funny. So there's a, there's a buck that uh, went into a new area completely blind this year and found my dad and I went out scouting it actually. And we found, he found one side, I found the other to this, the sheds of this buck and, He's probably he's a mainframe 8-point, and we never put a tape on the sheds, but probably about 140 inches just for reference. And it's in an area, but, I mean, like the bases are like pop cans. Like he, this is an, an old deer, and he had a ton of stickers coming off the bases. I think he had about 12 or 13 scorable points. And it's in an area where it's mostly old-growth timber. So I really, truly think he's about one of the top you know, bucks in there and just his age, you could tell. And I was having a lot of trouble finding him and where I ended up picking up on camera, which I just found, found him today. Really? Um, I, this area is, is a pretty long drive from where I live at. So I just hadn't been back there. And I figured I said, out basically this year was going to be a lot of learning. Um, so I'm going to let cameras do some work. I might hunt it when I can. And, I found him again in the lower third of the mountain and actually yeah. he was, he was really close to where he shed his antlers and oh, I was, yeah. started getting, yeah. I never got any daylight photos on the scrape, but they were from October 27th through November, I'd say eighth or ninth. He was there probably six, seven times like a less than, about an hour after dark. So, and the direction he's coming from is where I had an inclination that he might've been betting. And so now, you know, the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together a little bit. And I'm not sure if I'm going to, you know, go in and try to hunt him in rifle season just because of the the pressure. They don't uh, go by the, the patterns very much, or if I hope that he makes it through another year and, and, you know, kind of go off of that, but it was so interesting to kind of put those pieces of the puzzle together. And I wish I would have had more cameras in there to really tell more of the story, but you know, it, it gives you a, it gives you a pretty good idea of it. And that's, what's so fun about trying to figure them out in, you know, in, in the mountains.
0: That Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so different. And you know, one of the, one of the big things that that mo- one of the most important things I think for for hunters to consider is is how they is their access, how they're accessing those those areas. Like whenever I was going along the railroad grade, I could have very easily came in off of that point where I said I'd pick him up off, on, but I knew that if I did that, I would I would blow everything in the country out. But if I come along that railroad grade, I could be really quiet down there, and I could just. I would, I would disturb less. So using, using Onyx, using, you know, Google Earth, you know, whatever mapping program you're using, scout those out really well and really meticulously choose, uh, you know, where you're going, how and where you're going to access.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah,
0: that's, that, that, that is key.
1: (laughs) So are you finding, you know, some of these bucks, are you finding that they're, they're, you know, they're betting out on those points for the most part, depending on, you know, what elevation that is, but mostly out on the points,
0: you know, um, a lot of times. Yes. Yeah. Mo- most of the time, but you know, I, I watched a video years ago, um, about these guys, I think they were in Virginia and they were talking about, uh, like thermal tunnels like wind tunnels, Yep. and that that is uh, that is when, like, you have a ridge or a point, and the prevailing wind is coming and it's taking the wind across those points, and then the thermals are coming up. It, well, just think of it like this: say you have a ridge, and the um, and the prevailing wind's going over top of that ridge, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in the mornings when the thermals are coming up the thermals will come up and hit that prevailing wind and cause that cause that prevailing wind to circle down. And the bucks, they said, will actually bed with their backs to that prevailing wind, and that will allow them, like as the thermals causes the prevailing wind to swirl down and back around, the bucks can look down over the hill and see everything in front of them, and then they can actually smell what is behind them yep i've heard that but (laughs) i I mean but that i think i I think there's some truth to that because they do they use those big they use those rugged points uh and they use those ridge lines uh for for wind and and for uh vantage point you know from their view Uh, they'll bed with the the mountain to their back and then they'll be looking where they can see all out in front of them
1: yeah, and I found very similar like that I I truly believe yeah, that that it. what what you're saying there is is and I there's always, you know, um, you know, curveballs thrown into that and sometimes I'm like why oh, yeah, are they yeah, bedded yeah, yeah. here? But a lot of times yeah. that is, you know, in a perfect scenario. I believe that's that's it. And I I had a camera this year that I put out in April when I was scouting. I carry cameras with me because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to come back to some of these spots. And I definitely, one of my learning uh, lessons this year was I spread myself too thin with a ton of different areas instead of, you know, really learning one or two. But uh, anyways, there was a spot that was out on this point and I found some beds that I thought might have been buck beds. There were some rubs that led into it out on this point. So I just set a camera up there on a scrape that was probably only 60 yards from where the beds were. And I was like, I'm just going to leave it there all year, put some lithium batteries in it, let it go. And I went back in November 3rd and checked that camera. And I had some really big deer using that area and they were definitely using it for bedding. I mean, there was no food there, nothing on a scrape that I didn't freshen up. It was, you know, in April, I just had it sitting there and all summer long, I had bucks bedded out on the point, And then there was kind of a, a, a law in them using that area. They might've been down lower or, or whatever. Um, but then, you know, again, they were coming back to do it. And I tried hunting it and I got super aggressive with it. And I literally went out to hunt this point and I realized why they're bedding there. It's just about impossible to hunt it because of the wind. It was, you know, I'd feel that, that, you know, dominant wind. I was hoping to get there, you know, before they were in that bedding area and, you know, got there early in the morning, but it, you know, the winds, the dominant was coming to my back and then you had, you know, as the mountains heat up and the thermals are coming up, but it was creating like a a swirl effect at that point. And I just, I know that, well, I, I ended up blowing out one buck. It was a smaller one, but it was... They, they're betting there for a reason. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I, I think I got a little bit too aggressive with how close I got to that, that spot. And, you know, that's something you learn and you just kind of take
0: notes from it, I guess. You know, I, sometimes what I, I do is i try to, to start out being like exactly what you said. I try to start out being like hunting the fringes. And then, then I'll gradually move in closer as season progresses, and I see my time dwindling. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, flirt around the edges of it, and then, then, then start to move in closer to where I think his core area is. Um, but, but yeah, being being aggressive can, can be effective, but at the same time, it can be it can be devastating too if you because you know mature large mature deer they they don't they just don't handle the pressure uh they, they just will not stand it mm-hmm. they'll move they'll move out of a uh, they'll move out of an area yep
1: yep that's and like and like you said i mean in this area uh i don't think you know has a ton of hunting pressure at least during the archery season i don't see anybody out in there and and stuff but you know my own pressure on them you know definitely affects it and I I wanted to get to that camera again today and and check it and just never you know I never made it out there in time but uh I'd be interested to see if you know if I you know damaged it for a while or or not you know I I do believe that you know bucks will take a little bit of, you know, pressure. And if you blow him out once, I don't believe that's the yeah. end of the deal. And, no, um, but no, you know, at sustained at I pressure.
0: If, I even heard the one fellow say that if a bow, that if you bow, if you blow a buck out once, he will definitely come back because the whole purpose of him betting there worked. Yep. He survived.
2: Yep. You know what I
0: mean? Exactly. So he, in his mind, Hey, that worked. So I'm going to go back. Cause I know I'm safe because I know that worked and I knew, you know, the danger was coming. I sensed it. I got out of there. So I, yeah, that was an effective betting place for him. You know what I mean? But you know, as well as I, if, you know, that happens a couple of times, he's like, okay, this pressure is <laughs> going to keep coming back. I'm out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. need this additional stress. I'm going to, I'm going to move over and, and throw yeah, another go over Another
0: hollow or two. Yeah, <laughs> <Yep>. exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's 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 really interesting i i love like i said i love talking to other people like yourself about that and because sometimes i feel like in my own little world (laughs) sometimes thinking am i crazy you know thinking these things but uh that's that's really cool
2: yeah it's
0: cool to keep it interesting and you know mind you some people have their trees that they've killed you know, ten Pope and Young's from, and God bless him, man. That's great, but I just don't have that golden tree. Yep <laughs> <laughs> i have to I have to go out. You know, find, it seems like i I've I don't think I have ever of of the deer I've been blessed to take. I don't think I've ever taken two in the same like vicinity. Uh, gosh, I, I just I have to cover ground, and so it seems like I have to stay on the move. Now, mind you, since we've You know, my wife and I, since we've gotten our land here in Boone County, now that we don't, I don't live in the Bow Counties anymore, but I live, it's an adjacent county to the Bow Counties. But now that I've moved uh, here, we've, uh, the land that we have, we've got, uh, we've got a couple hundred acres. And, uh, you know, that's not a tremendous amount of land and the deer move. But this is something that I, I really, really promote is, is linking up with your neighbors and getting on trying to get on the same page and, and enjoy the process together and form what I call a like a, a co-op. Like where you and them have the same mentality and the same mindset, and same goals. And you work, you know, work together, uh share photos and you know, you discuss the deer's ages and things like that. And um that, that really works well. And I've I've enjoyed that. Like forming the a, a cooperative group with uh with the neighboring properties here. And, um, and starting to, starting to, uh, you know, the first, you know, the first year and a half we lived here, Bo, I didn't see a buck, none. But after this is the seventh year we've lived here now, this past, this past summer and spring, I watched 16 deer, uh, 16 bucks here uh, in the fields around, around where we live. And five of them were were, are starting to get mature and the, and the buck I was able to, to harvest last year was the largest ever taken in the County. He ended up, uh, netting, uh, one seventy three and some change. He was,
2: uh, he, uh, he was
0: the largest deer taken in the entire state last year. And, really? um, and, and the, yeah, yeah. And that was, that was taken off of our, you know, that was, that was basically a, a labor of love, just, uh, watching the process of you know, the deer, all the deer on the property mature, my wife, she was able to take her first deer as a buck year before last. Uh, then last year I was able to take that buck. So back to back years, the first day of season, we were, she got her first buck, which was a eight and a half year old eight point, <laughs>
2: um, uh,
0: that scored. Yeah, it was, it was around 140 inches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, the, the following year she could have, She could have taken the the one I took last year, year before last, first day of season. It was a hundred and almost 160 inch, 11 point. But we knew that it was, it was a four and a half year old and we knew the potential that it had, we were going to at least give it one more year. And, but we also knew that that big mature eight point would have probably ran it off of the property. Mm -hmm. So she said, no, she said, I'm going to wait and see if that old buck comes because we we need to we need to harvest that one if we're going to do this thing right. And like no joke, 30 seconds after she she's sitting there watching that that young 11 point. Um and then 30 seconds later here comes the old buck and she was able to get him.
1: That's some serious discipline. <laughs> that's that's amazing.
0: That, it is. It is uh, yeah she yeah she you know, she's just kind of starting into it, but she understands, she grasps what the goals are and she knows what we're, what we're trying to do and how, how to do it. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I told her, I was in the blind I told her, I said, honey, I was like, it's your first year. If you want to take that big buck, I was like, you're welcome to, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you can't. She's like, no, she's like, I know what we're trying to do. She said, she said, let's, let's see if that big one comes, uh, the old one comes in and, uh, and sure enough, it did.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's really, really cool. cool. And and I guess that's, you know, and, and you and I have talked a little bit offline on it, but I mean, just, um, I, I guess the discipline with it and land management and everything else, I mean, you know, way more about this than I do, but, um, that, that you can, you know, turn a property around, it sounds like.
0: You, you can't. Oh, you, you definitely can. Yeah. If if done correctly. Yeah. You, and I'm going to, you know, that's something that I'll, I'm in the process. I'm, I'm compiling. I have gigs upon gigs upon gigs of, uh, of, uh, video of, of my process and the way what's worked for me. And I'm, I'm going to release a video to, to hopefully help other hunters. And, um, that, that have the same goal, you know what I mean? Uh, as you know, as, as I do to, you know, to raise deer that are mature and, you know, have, you know, to try to see their genetic potential in terms of antler size. And, um, I, I'm, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to compile all that together and make a really cool, informative, uh, video, uh, for, for fellow hunters.
1: Oh, that's, that's awesome. I'll, I'll be interested to, to see what you come up with, with that. I'm it's it's something yeah. that you know is somewhat foreign to me, and but that's that's a goal of mine, a dream of mine is to own property and you know be able to to manage that. You know I love chasing them in the places I do now, but I also think that's a a whole other avenue to it yeah. that it would be so much fun to uh, to go but through it, that. Yeah,
0: and a lot of people think I have a, I have like three or four laces that I'm on in the Bow counties, a lot of people think I've taken all of my deer. All he, he just hunts those leases. <laughs> well, uh, that is there, nothing to be further from the truth yeah. in 11, in 11 years of leasing property. I've killed, I've harvested two bucks off of leases. <laughs> um, le, leasing has its pros and cons. I mean, you, you know, you load up a uh, property with a bunch of hunters, man, you talking about some pressure. The majority of the deer I've, I've taken have been on, uh, I've been on public lands and, um, land company properties that have, uh, uh, I've been blessed to know some guys who've, uh, given me some permission to hunt some of the land company properties. And, uh, man, that, that's the majority of the deer, the mature deer I've taken have come from those properties.
1: Yeah. And, and what's, so what's really interesting about that in Pennsylvania, we have, um, some of that too. And, and I belong uh-huh. to, I belong to a couple adjacent, leases like that that have you know a lot of people that hunt it and yeah. i've never taken a deer off of them and i think it's yeah. i think it's super funny because you know you think of oh it's it's private property and that's going to be easier <laughs> it's, year. It's, yeah and yeah. to be honest <laughs> there's more pressure from atvs because they're allowed oh, yeah. on it and you know yep. people riding up and down the roads and just um there's so much more to it that i ended up hunting Mostly the the public ground, or or I just use yeah. the property to adjacent uh, to uh to hit a piece of public that I don't have to walk as far in because I can you know yeah. access it from a different spot. Because
0: I do the same thing.
1: It's so yeah. it's so funny, and and another I guess thing is you're talking about you know some uh, lands that are owned by you know say big companies or whatever they might be, and like we have a lot of you know forest. You know, foresting companies and and logging companies Uh and gas well companies that own property that allow public hunting. All you do is call and ask if you're unsure, which we have, you know, me growing up in the area, I have public knowledge what you can and can't. But um, those places can be awesome to be able to hunt. And I, I used to, I did that in Ohio before as,
0: yeah.
1: um, found
2: oh,
0: yeah.
1: a company. And I just literally went up to their front office and was like, can I get permission to hunt? You're like, oh yeah, no problem. They wrote me up a permissions, uh, a written slip and it's still, it still got pressure. It wasn't like it was my own, you know, honey hole, but it was, there, there's a lot of opportunity for that. But I just, I did want to, you know, state that because I, I've, you know, heard that before, you know, Oh, you know, Bo has access to, you know, this many acres of (laughs) private land to be able to hunt. It's funny because like, I I literally, I, I rarely hunt it. I got it when I first got it. I used to have a side-by-side that I like to ride on it and camp and use it for recreational purposes more than hunting because it, it's not any better than, than the public ground.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bo, this, this buck that I harvested this year, no joke, this leaf. I've been on for eleven years, um, and this is the first time, first year I have ever carried a, a bow or, or a weapon on the property. Really? So a lot? Yeah, eleven years. A lot of people ask me that when I tell them this; they're like, "That's crazy. Why do you continue to lease that property?" And it goes back to something I was talking about earlier. You know, the, the hunting part is is awesome, but I, we we I don't think we should ever get caught up so much that we forget the camaraderie part. The reason that I continue this lease is this I'm on that lease with some, some of the, my best friends. I've known one of them I've known since the fourth grade. And, you know, because of the busyness of life and everything, you know, we don't, we don't all communicate throughout the year and talk as much, but, but this, this property is sort of like, uh, I think of it as kind of common ground, like mm-hmm. every year before when season's about to come around, I can count on the phone calls to start to increase and I can count on hearing from my friends and us, us sharing the journey, talking about trail camera pictures. And it's a, it's, it is that land literally brings us back together each year.
1: Yep. That's no, that's, that's exactly right. And like I said, I, so that's, it, that's, 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 that's really cool. Reason
0: I continue. <laughs> That's the main reason I continue to lease that property. I mean, I I figured someday I would get an opportunity to harvest a good deer off of the land. I did. I I, I figured it would happen, but I wasn't going to quit. You know, being a part of that with you know with my my hunting community and my friends. But, you know, but even if I didn't get that
1: opportunity yeah and that's so the way the way i look at it too and and i've got to ask the same questions like oh why are you part of these leases then if you don't hunt them very much or don't i was like to be honest like it for me i also like that i can i can go up i can camp i can you know open up the gate and go in oh, yeah. and then drive my you know vehicle up in there and and just use it for so many other recreational purposes and you know i can bring outside of hunting season i can bring guests in so i can have friends come up and go camp and then i can do that on public ground too and but it's it's just yeah. neat for a few hundred bucks a year for me to be able to do that i'm like that's that's a that's a no-brainer so that's that's a
0: no-brainer for me yeah mm-hmm. that's really
1: <laughs> yep. funny because no, like you said there's not um there's not a lot of, and when you think of leased properties, you think of like the Midwest where, you know, people are, you know, leasing (laughs) these properties. Yeah. Yeah, And you can put food plots and do like all this, you know, stuff on it. And, you know, that's, that's all, you know, fine and dandy. That's great. But that's just not the, the situation or the hand I'm dealt. And don't get me wrong. I run, you know, cameras on it. And if I find a buck that I want to hunt or, or, you know, a few bucks or whatever, I'll hunt it. But I just, I don't know. I just, I just haven't had that, you know, real opportunity yet to do that.
2: Sure. Yeah. So
1: that's, yeah. that's, that's really cool. I, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you shared that,
0: that part
1: of it. I'm in the
0: same boat. Yeah. It's I, yeah. I, I yeah. think I, we I just think that's a misconception misconception for people and, and kind of an excuse for that some people use to not,
2: you know,
0: you know, if they're, if that is their goal and they're wanting to really get after it, then that um, hopefully that offers them some hope that they don't have to have this mecca property. They don't have to, you know. I think this is this is what I would encourage people with. Rather than trying to find the perfect property, try to use all of the resources and try to use all try to try to have as many options as you possibly can. Options is how you kill consistently harvest mature deer. Yep. Having options.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah that's that's so true. It, it uh it, it, there's there's you know I've talked about this before but I think one of the largest divisions in the the hunting industry is the whole public private thing. And I'm I'm a yeah, big proponent of um, you know, promoting public lands for the reasons that they're there and everything. Mm-hmm. But by Me no too. means oh, yeah. am I a person that says, oh, you hunt private land like, oh, that's that's cheating. No, I do it so much harder. That's not what I'm here no. for. I mean, I'm an opportunistic nope. hunter. You, If I have a possibility to hunt a prime piece of private land, I'm going to hunt it. And if I don't, then I'll hunt the public. I I don't care. Like that's, <laughs> I yep, just I, I'm the I, same way. That's just one little thing that you know sometimes bothers me when I see that. You know, you know, there's no macho ness to it. It's just hunt whatever you can, whatever you have access to, and and be happy with it. You can do good on public. You can do good on private. You can do bad at both. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's one of I those have, things. I'll,
0: I'll tell you this. I have, for all those people that are divided in that, listen. I, I have access. I'm blessed to have access to to a lot of a lot of places that should be great properties that are private. But I have personally had much more success on the public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just that's just me. That's yep. just uh, you know my journey. That's how it's panned out yep yeah
1: and i i can i'm very very similar to that like I, i i you know and i'll even run into lease members and stuff and they'll be like oh you know you you get that buck last year on here (laughs) no like what do you mean you're you're not hunting here you know you have access to it no i just i hunt wherever i hunt wherever i can find the bucks at you know (laughs) it's it's uh it's an interesting interesting concept but that's it is that is it is funny uh,
0: looking back so there, at there, it. there's been there's been three three deer in the in the 170s harvested here recently in southern west virginia and i know all three of them but they were all taken on public
1: that's crazy i um i i'm pretty sure you know him or at least he's from your community trace boone do you know trace that's
0: one of the, that's one of the okay. three i was talking about i
1: was gonna say, i just saw his buck that he got a couple days ago oh yeah oh my hey, yeah
2: He's, he seems to be, I
0: ran into Trace. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. We went out, he, he, he went out West with me. He and I elk hunted there two years ago together. Okay.
1: Oh man. Yeah. He he, he killed a slammer.
0: (laughs) Beautiful buck. Yeah. I had, I I had hunted the, the, I think it was the dad. uh, I'm pretty sure it was the, the dad of that buck three, three or four years ago ninety nine we're, he and I talked about it, we're ninety percent sure,
2: <laughs> really,
0: yeah, really cool, really cool, man, I was so excited when I he uh yeah, whenever he sent me those pictures, I was like, oh my gosh, he got him
1: <laughs> i'm gonna I'm gonna have to get him on at some point to talk to him too he's he seems yeah, like a, definitely. a great guy and 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 he's Super also big. oh yeah consistently successful at hunting yeah. some of these tough deer,
0: and his And his journey is very different than, than mine. I mean, the way that he hunts and, uh, he, he, he is a really good, he's really good at spotting, like a spotting and stalking kind of hunter. Um, now I I don't know, I I was going to ask him, I'm not sure if he got this buck from a stand or spotting and stalking, but, uh, but yeah, he is, he's really good at spotting and stalking his, and, and some of his tactics are are really interesting and how he, how he goes about that.
2: Yeah.
1: That's cool. I'm definitely yeah. gonna. I'm gonna have to reach out to him and get him on, get him on the podcast to, to talk about it. I love just hearing everyone's different strategies and and tactics. There. Oh, me too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a good one.
1: But um, so one one thing I did want to cover that I'm gonna have to say we're gonna postpone talking about the topic just for the for the uh, I guess the time uh, standpoint sure. as I do want to cover your yeah. Western hunt. So we'll, this will just give us another reason to have to, to talk again. If that's oh, that's you. a
2: good, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a good thing. Yeah. I'll yeah. look forward to it. Yeah. We, yeah, we had a, we had a great time and yeah, we, I'd love to do, uh, do another, just to share some of the, uh, some of the things that we experienced out there, because I think a lot of people share a lot of the things that we went through yeah. uh, this year. Um, uh, some of the, both the challenges and some of the victories. So yeah, that would be, that'd be spectacular for us to do that in the future. Yeah. Cool.
1: We'll, we'll definitely do that. We'll, we'll get together again, this uh, we'll get together again this winter and do another podcast of that. And hopefully uh, we get to do that in person, but um, either, yeah, either, that'd be great. either way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could,
0: yeah, if you can make it down to uh, Southern West Virginia here, Oh, first, second week in uh, December, man, I think there'd be a good, good chance for you to, to, to harvest a good old mountain buck down in this part of the country
1: oh man i i would love that more than anything if we can get get the schedules line up i i need to i need to look at that pretty seriously because i have that's been one of my goals to get down there even if it's for a couple days i would absolutely love it i did burn up all my vacations so uh it would be a a weekend thing so work probably wouldn't be too happy with me doing anything different
0: (laughs) A a weekend thing would be very doable yeah
1: cool yeah uh, all right. Uh, well, so David, where, where can people find some more of the stuff that you're doing? Um, you know, personally with your business, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to plug, where can, where can people find more?
0: You know, um, yeah, for my Instagram, uh, personally you could look at Dave is outdoors or you can go to appalachian range, uh, dot com for our website and, Uh, our, uh, you can look up, you can just search Appalachian range outdoors, uh, on Facebook or Instagram and we should pop up, but, uh, but yeah, you can find any of our information there and, uh, our stories like I did last year, I did a video story of, uh, um, the process of an Appalachian bow hunter. And that, that can be found on uh, our YouTube channel, Appalachian range outdoors, um, and yeah that's, that's about it for right now
1: cool well i i would I would recommend everyone check out that video. I loved it um when you released that did you Thank release you. that last year or was that early
0: this year uh-huh. Yeah. yeah okay. that well I think it was uh no i think gosh I forgot what date honestly <laughs> um yeah it was it was late it was late in the season last year i tried to i try- i always try to whatever story uh, for the following bow se- or from the previous bow season, I always try to release it during winter when all of us hunters are, we're kind of waiting to start shed hunting and yeah. <laughs> we're kind of cooped up a little bit, cabin fever just to get the, get the gears spinning for the following season. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. That's a, I, I yeah. thought it was sometime around then, but I would highly recommend everyone yeah. check that out and, um, yeah. and, and check out everywhere else that, uh, you're putting out content. Cause I think I think uh, a lot of the listeners here would would really enjoy that so
2: yeah
0: yeah, and you know it's something i'm uh i'm I'm starting to do and uh, I'm really excited about um i've started to uh to go to some uh um i've started to go to some events and do some do some speaking um starting to do some things, some uh crit- they call them critter dinners or sportsman banquets at some churches and things like that man, anytime uh, anybody would uh, like to have me out for that, I would love to be a part of, I love those events. I just love what, what they promote. And it goes back to that, that camaraderie and that unity between sportsmen. And I love, love going out to those and speaking of those. So if, uh, yeah, if anybody would want to do that, they can, they can reach out to me through social media and I'd, I'd love to come out and be a part of those.
1: Awesome. Well, David, I'd like to really, once again, thank you for coming on the the podcast here and, and talking with me and, and, uh, you and I will be talking again, uh, you know, soon and, uh, hopefully hunting together soon.
0: I really look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, man. Had a great time with you.
1: All right. Well, you have a good night.
0: Okay, brother. See ya.